Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. It is March 28th. Good to have you here with us. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. We're so grateful to have you here as a listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in audio format that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. This time last week, I was in in Fontainebleau and on South Beach in North South Beach in the outside of the war zone. There's a gunfire going on. We had a reception in South South Beach and guns blazing, police all over. It's just crazy. Uh, what goes on in these spring break crowds. But anyway, we were at the Fountain Blue. You can only imagine what that would look like with a whole bunch of spring breakers and convention goers all mixed in together. That was kind of interesting. But uh, it's good to be back with you. We had a great conference at the TMC conference. Uh, it was a great conference. We're just excited to be back. Again, we've got some timely information for you that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. That's what this podcast is about. One of the timely information, some of the timely information we have for you today is we've got SnapDocs. Uh, presenting today. We have Brianna Ings, who is Vice President of Product Development at uh, Vice President of Product. I think that's product everything, uh, design everything. And she's going to be talking about a new product they're releasing specifically in the context of how important it is during increasing uh, to increase operational efficiencies in light of this current environment we find ourselves with shrinking margins, rising interest rates, less business. So really looking forward to having Brianna, Brianna come on and talk with our audience in the Hot Topics segment. Jack and I met up with her late last week, really encouraged by her um, view of the markets, and you'll definitely want to pay attention to this podcast as you can discover new ways to operate more efficiently. So anyway, stay tuned for the Hot Topics segment after the main, the primary podcast gets started or after it's finished, I guess is what I'm saying. We'll edit that out. Nikki, you got to clean that one up. Anyway, I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Be sure to check out Mike Pratt and Tony's uh, financial review. We've got to get him back on talking about what's going on with interest rates. Substantially greater increase than anyone really saw happening is going on. We also then want to say a special thank you to Anastra's Fusion Bot Mortgage uh, Solution. They have um, great products and they have an LOS they have a, a point of sale technology. And so I encourage you to check out the podcast with Karen Jenkins talking about the, where that product is going as long as the more recent one, Zingo. Also, a special thank you to Lenders One. That last conference we were just at in Phoenix was amazing, as well as the Mortgage Collaborative. Thank you for their sponsorship. They did a great job. Rich Zabinski did an awesome job um, running this. And what, there was one particular uh, uh, Thing that was just so fascinating that they did. They had a, a mock presidential debate, but it was uh, it was three individuals uh, speaking up there. One was for get back into the office. The other one was against getting back in the office, and the third one was uh, a hybrid model. 
And we had so much fun with that. It was a fun debate, but it was really interesting. So check out the uh, – uh, we're going to have actually some of those guests come on the podcast, but I, I wish you could have been there, and we're going to be – I say check out because we are going to have them on the podcast, so we'll let you know when that is. Anyway, Chris Zingo was on on March 7th, so that was just a couple of weeks ago. Be sure to check that out. Also, I want to say thank you to Total Expert. They have – I had a chance to sit in several sessions where Total Expert was presenting. What they have built and what they're doing with their purpose-built CRM and customer engagement platform is nothing less than amazing. And now you're able to start tracking what's going on with borrowers that you have not funded loans from, that you have leads on, and looking at certain aspects of their credit, for example, and when they're ready to go. So they have a credit monitoring feature they just turned on. I, uh, Joe Weilu on uh, March 14th uh, talked a little bit about that, but go back and listen to that podcast. Also, Knowledge Coop, they're launching their new version of the Coop on April 1st. We're going to have Ken Perry on talk about that, as well as Mobility MMI and Modex. Both of these companies do a great job of helping you recruit the right officers, loan originators, um, and bring them in with the confidence of what they've represented is, in fact, true. Check out both of these. And if you have any questions on how to use these, give me a call. I have got so many ideas, of new ideas, of how to use these two powerful tools when it comes to recruiting. Of course, we've got SnapDocs as a sponsor, so th- thrilled. We've got Brianna, as we said earlier, going to be with us in the Hot Topics se- segment, as well as Success Kit. They want, if you want to increase your closing rates now, you can do so by introducing social proof. I love this concept of social, real social proof. This is where you get people talking positively through case studies uh, and talking and giving references on your business. You need to check this out. If you're an LO, you should use this. I don't care if you're a big company, you should be using this. Check out successkit.io. Also, Lenders Toolkit, they do a great job, and well, it's form-free, thrilled to have form-free with us. And then DW Consulting, Debbie Wymus, we've got more sponsors coming onto the podcast. We've got a bunch of them already. We're so excited to have all of our sponsors, and a big thank you. Go to our sponsor page on our website, Lick It On Lending, so you can see all that is going on there. Thank you so much. Let's get over to Rob Van Raphorst. Oh, I forgot to say a special thank you to Alice, Alan, Rob, Les. And, of course, Matt and Jack. So glad to have you here. Let's get over to the MBA Mortgage Minute with Rob Van Raphorst. Rob? Hi, I'm Rob Van Raphorst. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, President Biden's Interagency Pay Task Force, which stands for Property Appraisal and Valuations Equity, published its action plan to address bias in residential property appraisals. The recommendations in the action plan cover a wide range of areas, including oversight of the appraisal industry, reconsideration of value processes, barriers to entry for new appraisers, data collection and analysis, and consumer education. MBA issued a press statement welcoming the report and emphasizing MBA's commitment to working with policymakers and other stakeholders, including appraisers, to develop solutions that ensure borrowers receive a fair and accurate estimate of the value of their homes. MBA also urged the agencies to ensure robust notice and common opportunities in the implementation process to ensure stakeholder concerns are addressed. And be sure to check out MBA's Technology Solutions and Expo Conference in April 11th through the 14th in Las Vegas, Nevada. To register, go to mba.org slash conferences. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Good job, Rob. Appreciate that word. 
Thank you. Boy, that ended abruptly. I'm not sure how that happened, but it did. <laughs> anyway, let's get over to Les Parker, who does an excellent job, along with Gary Cantrabone, bringing you the TM Spotlight and a macro view of the markets. Les? TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by PowerSeller, making hedging easy. Say, or good looking. What? It got cooking. How's about cooking? Up to one twenty. Oil's hot. It shows no sign of relenting its bullish position. The May crude oil is ready to heat up to one twenty. The oil pressure drops when it cools to one o seven. It recently reached one fourteen. The bears rule in the tenure, but two fifty five remains a significant barrier in its yield. The Fed wants to douse the flames of inflation, which lifts the dollar. A hot dollar cools oil. Without it, oil hits 120. How's about cooking up to 120? These views are my own. Figure out what's cooking at tmspotlight.com. Well, good job. That's a funny song. I chuckle every time I see that. What you got cooking? Cooking up something with me? Anyway. TMSpotlight.com. Check it out. You can subscribe for free by putting in the word power in where it's prompted for a code. So get the paid version for free. Not a bad deal. Great content. I was reading less. I'll read Les's commentary first thing. I don't know when he sleeps, but he publishes out. But uh, each and every day, great material. Yes, Les, I do read it. Don't always understand it, but I'm getting better at it. It's great stuff. Matt Graham is here. I understand everything Matt says because he speaks as only Matt Graham can. Matt Graham's personality is wonderful. Matt, we were just talking earlier before we went live. Thank God you're the calm voice in there. And uh, I guess some of your people, some of your uh, subscribers said that. Matt was giving us good or bad news, but we're doing it in such a way that he calmed their fears. No one jumped out of buildings after listening to your report this week, this last week, huh? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not calm. Uh, this week or last week. I mean, the voice might be, but holy cow, holy. Uh, crazy goings on in in the mortgage market, financial market, and all the rest of it. Yeah. So you know, if if somebody's going to speak calmly about it, in my position, it's probably only because they're super tired and worn out from uh, <laughs> having to pay attention and and uh, kind of the back and forth um, head fakes that are being thrown by the market. And having to explain, you know, why things are happening the way they're happening, um, because there is a lot of confusion out there and a lot of surprise. Which, you know, honestly, I'll, I find the surprise surprising, um, mm-hmm. because we knew that rates would be going higher. We didn't know they'd be going higher quite this quickly, but um, after the Fed changed its tack in, uh, well, several times, starting in. September, then again in November, and then most notably in January, uh, the writing has really been on the wall since then, and it was really only the Ukraine war that uh, caused bonds to reconsider their fairly relentless spike. And by bonds, I should clarify, you know, we're talking about uh, Fed rate hike expectations, Fed funds futures, the short end of the yield curve. That stuff doesn't normally have a, a super direct implication for mortgage rates, but, um, well, let's put it this way. The Fed funds rate doesn't have a direct implication for mortgage rates, but 
when expectations are rising as quickly as they have been, that uh, has an impact on rates across the curve. And that then the Ukraine situation has been tremendously interesting and uh, confusing and complicated because it caused the market for a short period of time to downgrade its expectations about the Fed rate hike, or Fed, you know, where the Fed funds rate was going. And to quantify that, <clears throat> before the Ukraine situation, we were seeing, or not we, but the Fed Fund Futures contract for uh, January 2023, which effectively measures through 2022, mm-hmm. was uh, seeing a Fed Funds rate between 1.5 and 1.75. It, so it chopped an entire two rate hikes off of the outlook due to the onset of the Ukraine war. That fell to the 1.0 to 1.25 bucket. In the time since then, and that was uh, right around the very beginning of March, it has risen all the way up and above 2.5. So I'm just looking at my chart here and counting. That's one, two, three, four, five additional 25 bit rate hikes that have been priced in in the pace of less than a month. And uh, that is brutally fast. And we had another brutally fast increase like that occur in the uh, previous two months leading up to the Ukraine war. So it is this tremendous about face in the market's understanding of where short-term rates are going to go. And at the same time, they're coping with the Fed saying, oh, hey, and by the way, we're also going to be normalizing the balance sheet a lot sooner than we did in the past. Oh, and hey, by the way, I know we talked to you guys two weeks ago, but now, just so you know, we're probably going to do it even faster than we told you last time. Oh, hey, by the way, even though uh, you thought we were going to do it maybe in September and then we told you maybe June, now we think mm-hmm. we might go ahead and, and start that normalization thing in May, the very next meeting. And that's how we began the current week with Fed Chair Powell not pushing back in any way on the market's little freak out. But instead, basically saying, hey, guys, you are totally right to be freaking out. That's what we want you to do. We want the market to be moving higher in rate and higher rate expectations in advance of of what we actually do. That means our monetary policy transmission is having the desired effect. And it means when we actually start making these changes, it's not going to be as tumultuous uh, for the market. In the meantime, it has caused the fastest spike in mortgage rates that we have seen arguably in any of our lifetimes, but uh, there's a little bit of a toss-up between now and 1994. That is a stunning turn of events because until last week, in fact, until Friday afternoon of last week, any person with gray or white hair who operated (laughs) in the uh, mortgage market in the 90s could laugh at the youth of today and say, uh, you guys don't know anything about fast rate spikes. Why, back in my day, in 1994, that's we had the fastest rate spike ever. Um, but that's that's no longer the case. So now, you know, the, we're on pace to beat 94 right now if things continue. Yep. Um, and we've crushed 2013. We've crushed the 2016 through 2018 timeframe. Uh, we even matched the very short-term rate spike on the single week in June 2013 during the apex of the taper tantrum, where yep. rates rose an entire half a point in one week. Uh, even I didn't think that was going to go down as of Wednesday of last week, because Wednesday things looked hopeful, but then they changed course and continued to weaken through the end of the week. 
so the the final tally by my count was 53 bits in 2013 on a single week and 49 bits in a single week last week. Um, you know, any way you slice it, we're not pricing out mortgage rates down to a tenth of a percent. We're going to eight uh, one eighth percent increases and uh, or decreases, but in this case increases. So that's a 50 basis point hike to any consumer's rate quote, any way you slice it, uh, which is insane. So, yes, you know, it's been, it's been fast. It's been big. And everybody's question is how big is it going to get before it stops getting so big? And that is a great question. Uh, one thing for every listener to keep in mind is just how behind the times all of the major forecasts from Fannie, Freddie, et cetera, have been because of their methodologies. Uh, if you're not watching rates on an hour-to-hour basis, then you're not really up to speed on that. But, uh, you know, if you have a rate sheet in front of you, you know that the uh, best X or however you want to say your you know, the the rate that's most likely to be quoted to a consumer for an average 30 year fixed day is right around 5%. And uh, that's pretty funny because there's still articles coming out with forecasts calling for rates to go as high as 4.5%. So you just kind of got to laugh at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, the thing I keep telling my audience is that the higher we go, the faster we go, the closer we are to the top. And that seems yep pretty trite and uh, not very informative, but it is a thing and it does speak to the momentum factor in the market and the fact that the bond market and and mortgage rates are always going to do as much as they can to price they can know about the future. So the rate spike that we've seen so far is related directly to the change in rate hike expectations that we've seen so far. If those expectations don't continue to ramp up, then rates won't continue to ramp up. It would mm-hmm. require expectations deteriorating further for rates to spike further. Um, and that could come from additional inflation pressure or, um, you know, a Fed that sees fit to be less friendly in terms of policy normalization. Um, but, you know, nobody wants to really predict the future right now after how wrong everybody has been. Yeah. But uh, I, I will say we've probably done a majority of the heavy lifting of this rate spike cycle, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. And whether that means rates are going to bounce right now or go a little bit higher before they bounce, I don't know. But uh, definitely yeah, – uh, go ahead. Yes, I'm getting some questions in right now. Ask Matt, are we at the ceiling? Does he have any feel for where that's at? No, none of us do is the answer to that. I can answer that on your, on your behalf. I know you will. You don't project, project where interest rates are going. You just report on where things are at. But crazy, crazy times, really, really crazy times. Yeah, you know, I think we saw 2.4 as being sort of um, in 10-year yields. 2.4 as being uh, one of the ceiling targets that 2022 might bring, and we've already passed that. Um, you know, we're right around that. So you could still say 2.4 might be the ceiling if we experience a lot of support here. But I think that, you know, um, something closer to 2.75 is what the people like me have adjusted up to in in terms of the next sort of zone of support, but it's all, it's all guesswork. And, um, I think that, like I said, we've done a majority of, of the heavy lifting of this rate spike cycle and, uh, we've lost enough ground that we should increasingly see support as long as inflation doesn't deteriorate in a way that is unexpected. 
And I think even now we're expecting inflation to remain problematic, but it would have to get significantly more so for, uh, you know, the pace of the rate spike so far in 2022 to be duplicated in mm-hmm. in the coming months. And I think by the time the Fed is actually normalizing and, and continues its rate hikes, and especially if it, you know, does, it's going to have to do a few 50 basis point rate hikes to adhere to current expectations, at least two, two of the meetings this year. Um, you know, once that starts happening, then I think those are the, the sorts of uh, blow off tops that tend to coincide with the market turning around. But, uh, you know, again, the higher we go, the sooner we're going to yep. turn around. Yep. Are we at the top now? Pro- probably not. Could we be? Maybe. Nope. Um, we're near see. the top. I think, I think everyone would agree that we're near the top of this thing. If, we, if this thing goes beyond, breaks through and goes up another, through another resistance level, uh, whew, wow. I don't know what to say. But I don't anticipate that And some of the things I'm reading down. Jack, what's your thoughts on it? By the way, Jack, you did an awesome job of staying right here back. We want to come back to you. Uh, you did an awesome job hosting while I was gone. Appreciate it so much. Thank you, Jack. But what are your thoughts? Uh, 275? Well, you know, first of all, David, I, I pale in your shadow. So uh, I strive to be as articulate and fluid as you are, and I've got a ways to go. Well, David, you know, this reminds me, since, since uh, Matt invoked, you know, the gray hair analogy of 1994, this reminds <laughs> me of an old commercial back during that time. Uh, it's, it's when we had cassette tapes. Okay, everybody, you yeah. remember what a cassette tape was? So there was a commercial out there by Maxell, right? And it yep. had a guy sitting in a chair listening to a Maxell cassette tape with a speaker right in front of him, and his hair is like blown straight blown back. back. Yeah. You know, yep. Right. You know, if you if you don't remember that commercial, that uh, you know, look it up. It's 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 very uh, you know appropriate for the times that we're in right now, right? Because you know. Uh, you know, Matt, you, you were just talking about, you know, uh, you know, the Fed and, you know, contemplating 50 basis points rate hike on the Fed funds rate. You know, the, the Fed took some criticism on the last rate hike, too little, okay. too late. Uh, you know, yep. Matt, do you think the next rate hike we're going to see 50 basis points? Uh, something would have to change significantly for us to not see 50 basis points, if for no other reason than the fact that the market has opened the door for the Fed to do that without any repercussion. So anytime the market is pricing in a rate hike with 100% certainty, the Fed might as well take it um, because there's really no mm-hmm. downside in terms of economic uh, shock at that point. Yeah, and, I, I, I... Yeah, I think the market priced in a 50 basis point rate hike at the at the uh, next FOMC. Well, we shall see. Yeah, the next two and, right now, yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, you know, candidly, uh, you know, while you know, we always talk about the CPI here on on uh, uh, the podcast, right? The CPI doesn't factor in, uh, you know, the energy cost, and you know, so from my chair. Uh, you know, I look at CPI and say, well, you know, that's really, uh, you know, uh, understating the impact to the consumer because the consumer, you know, has to pay, you know, for, you know, oil at the gas pump. And, uh, you know, so I look to see consumer sentiment continue to decline as long as, you know, we see oil, uh, you know, uh, to Les Parker's comments earlier, you know, marching to 120, let's hope not. Um, you know, but the ultimate 
thread that I pull from all of this is affordability, guys. Mm-hmm. We will see challenges to to affordability in the housing market. Uh, you know, assuming you know nothing changes between now and the end of the year. Uh, you know what we're we're you know over five percent now in the 30-year fixed rate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to an originator earlier this morning. They're at five and an eighth. Uh, you know, if this moves on up, you know, any further from that, and, and there's, you know, really, you know, a lot to say that it could, uh, you know, then, you know, when do we start seeing what was already going to be a contracting origination market as a result of, you know, refis uh, being shut down? So when do purchases really begin to feel the, the drag on their numbers as a result of the affordability, you know, as Well, Jack, you're starting to fade out. Your audio is so much better than it was, but now we're working on the internet where there's, there's a little bit of a break there <laughs> on your end. Uh, I, one of the things I wanted to, was really interesting when you look at all the dynamics and we got to move on because we could spend the whole podcast right here on this topic right now, because it's such an important thing of what's actually happening. Uh, out there. But Matt, I want to just say we've always said correction happens suddenly. And man, it is happening in spades. That's why people need a service like yours. I, I love the way your screens are organized. I love the data. I love how I can access it when I'm traveling as I have for the last three weeks on my mobile device, my iPad, my iPhone. It is a great, great service. So listeners, many of you have already signed up and taken advantage of the extended trial period without a credit card. And many of you have signed up and have told me how much you love the service. So I encourage those of you that have not, or if you're new to listening to the podcast, we continue, our audience continues to grow. I encourage you to check out mbslive.net. And when you get to the signup code, LOL, it's extended period of time. So good to have you here, Matt. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Let's get on and uh, get over to Alice Alvey. Alice, so good to have you here. You're going to be talking about a topic that, boy, I tell you, it's not a popular topic, but it's one that needs to be talked about, and it's fraud. Alice, how are you doing? I am well, Dave, but I can't help but continue to add one point to the discussion that was just going on, and that is the actual appraised values and the appreciation mm-hmm. rate of housing today is mm-hmm. dramatically different compared to 1994. So if people are saying, you know, are we headed back to those low volumes? I don't know about your areas, but I've noticed a lot of for sale signs popping up. I know people's homes are selling fast with multiple offers. I get it. But when you look at FIFA's house price index today, yes. it is striking. I have never seen it like this in all my years of this is one of my favorite websites to go teach people about, even if you're just a regular homeowner. You go to House Price Index. Uh, you can just Google that, Federal Housing Finance Agency, FHFA, House Price Index. And you can see that for where we're at today, almost the entire country has appreciation rates over, you know, their number right now is 8%, mm-hmm. which is crazy. It's never looked like that before. There's always hot spots, low spots. But to see this much of the country in the green um, is just startling. And so hopefully that plays well with people going, all right, I want to get some equity out. I want to refi or uh, it's time to sell my home. Maybe we can get some dominoes moving with a result of where um, housing prices are. I know it's housing stock related, but it it seems to me like maybe people will get their feet out of the mud and, and start to try to move. 
Um, so check that out. Uh, there's a positive bright spot in, in all of this uh, to help us keep our markets moving. Um, but back to mortgage fraud. Uh, quick note, the federal housing, uh, I'm sorry, which agency am I talking about? <laughs> um, we, do have, <laughs> we do have actually a uh, piece of report coming in from uh, uh, different agencies, and you'll be able to see uh, that what sparked my interest in this was the Mortgage Bankers Association cited if it was just settled. And I thought, you know, we haven't talked about mortgage fraud in a while. We actually do have a uh, proposed rule that is sitting out from FinCEN, and the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network has a proposed rule out there that you can all comment on to set up a pilot for entities to share information. Uh, This has been around a while that they needed to kick this off, but the comment period is open now until March 28th today. Uh, so just in time reporting here, to make sure that uh, as lenders we get a chance to share information on any of the um, suspicious activity reports. Because when you read these schemes uh, and you check out all the fraud schemes, you can see that people do figure out a way to play lenders against each other and they just bounce from one lender to the next to get their schemes across. And the more we're talking to each other, hopefully we can stop some of these uh, in the beginning. Um, But one of the things, uh, Dave, I wanted to share brought to mind a story of a gentleman who uh, I knew years ago, a friend reached out and said, Alice, you've got to have him come and speak at one of your events. He's still in prison for mortgage title fraud. He wanted Hmm. to come and share his story. And we actually did have to go through all of the red tape through the prison system. Uh, He had been permitted to go out and speak once before, so we weren't the first time. But it was a very strange uh, setup at the hotel. The dogs came in, checked everything out. We saw the SWAT car actually pull up. Uh, he came uh, out in his orange suit with handcuffs on his uh, wrists and feet. Very effective. Uh, got escorted in, and it was very impactful. And he talked about ahead of time how much he wanted to come and speak to the people he had defrauded. So this was in the state of Ohio. And Ohio actually has a tax as a result of his title fraud that occurred back in the 90s. And so he was very open and honest about he wasn't that guy ahead of hitting a wall and financially needing to figure out how he was going to make payroll. And he said he still remembered the smell in the room, the smell of the paper and the pen the day he first signed a check for personal use out of the title company escrow fund. And as Uh, most of you know, the escrow money is supposed to go to pay off mm -hmm. the loans uh, for the transactions that just closed. So it isn't necessarily a person who ahead of time is, you know, scheming and planning. There are certainly those. There are also the people that under times of stress uh, cross the line is what we talked about and do something that now becomes a snowball rolling downhill. Every week he would be all right, no, this next week, if I do this many closings, I can go ahead and make up for it. Well, the interest on warehouse lines and all that just made it out of control and and goes the wrong way. But that's just a little story on, uh, you know, it's not always the person you suspect. And, uh, you know, so we have lots of systems in place to make sure just a heads up for everybody to have your fraud alerts on in the markets today. And it's such a timely report, Alice, because, when business slows down, when does that happen? I mean, if we've got just a tremendous amount of volume of business going on in the industry, uh, 
we don't see it as much. There's always some level of fraud going on by the idiots out there that are doing that, think they're smarter than the system. But it really shows up at times like this. So what a timely reminder. Um, regarding, I'm going to go back to housing affordability. What was really interesting, we had at the TMC conference, we had Jerry Howard, who's the president and CEO of the National Association of Home Builders. Get this, folks. 50% of the cost of a home in California is now regulatory. In other words, the regulatory environment is so ugly in California that to, to be able to build a home, the cost to build that home is 50% higher as a result of the regulations. It was one of the most interesting interviews that we had at the conference. And he wants us all to jump in and comment on this. Some states are it's somewhere between an average of 30 to 40%, which still seems so high. We're going through it here. We're doing a remodel of our home and a pretty extensive one, adding some square footage. And the price that used to be we could get in our little community. I live in a real small town called Marble Falls and Texas. And, uh, we were able to get a building permit in one week. Now it's 30 days. And now they want to review this. Now they want to review that. It is really going on and it's hitting across the country. So um, we're going to try to get Jerry on the podcast so he can talk more about this. It's one of those things where we've got to have our voices heard to make a difference in these communities. And it does make a difference when you do speak up. Alice, thank you so much for the good report today and your extra commentary about what's going on in the markets. I always love your perspective. And so does our audience. Thank you, Alice. Appreciate it. All right, that wraps up. Alan Pollock is it with us today. He called in just before the podcast. He says, I'm in a meeting. I can't make it. So we miss you, Alan. Appreciate you so much. So without further ado, we'll wrap up this part of the podcast, and we're going to get right into the Hot topic segment. So that wraps up this week's Ha Mortgage Weekly Mortgage Update. If you want to listen to this on a downloaded basis, you'll be able to do so. If you're listening live, stay right here as we head into the Hot Topic segment. Welcome to the Hot Topic, everybody. It is March 28th, and we're very excited to have joining us today, Brianna Ings. She is Vice President of Product at SnapDocs, one of our sponsors, and here she's here to talk about a new product they're, ta- they're releasing, and uh, we're really excited to have you here, Brianna. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Whoops. I better turn on your microphone. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oops. That says it'll be helpful. Oh, there, you go. Right. Oh, there you are. Yes. <laughs> So oh, sorry. Thank you so much. Good to have Very you. Very thrilled here. to be here with you. Well, Great I've talked so far. Well, it, 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 there's so much going on in the industry, and what you guys are doing with your eClose solutions and everything that you're creating is really creating a buzz in the industry. When we were at uh, at the TMC conference, there was a lot of buzz about you guys, but we want to first of all let our audience just get to know you, Brianna. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to where you're at today. Yeah, so so excited to meet everyone uh, on the call. So as as David said, I'm the VP of products at SnapDoc. So my career's been in building products. Um, I got into the the mortgage industry four years ago at SnapDoc. Um, so I'm a, a data nerd, love solving complex problems. I met our CEO Aaron, and he showed me more about the industry and how complex it was. Um, and I knew I would love solving those problems. I think everyone uh, knows, even just from the the talks earlier, how complex things are. Um, and it's been such a fun journey building our digital closing product and really excited to share more about the new products we're launching. Um, but a little bit more about me. I live in, in lovely, sunny San Diego. Um, oh, and love I love just about, yes, I know. So for, I don't know if you're in a cold environment, but it's nice and sunny and, and 70 here. <laughs> That's the life I live. 
Um, and I just love about every type of sport. So I'm thrilled that baseball's back. Um, I've got mm-hmm. tickets to opening day with the Padres. Uh, it was a uh, sort of yeah. touch and go there on, on how much this season would actually take off. Uh, yeah. And uh, if you're into sports, you got to be watching March Madness right now. Yeah. Um, my, my bracket's completely destroyed. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it's been super fun. Sure. I think everyone's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you pick the peacocks, you are, you are a unique one making it all the way to the, the, the eight here. Um, I know crazy. So, you know, I just wish my alma mater university of Virginia didn't have such a bad season and, and could have participated in the tournament, but it's still been fun. These games have been amazing to watch. Well, it is fun to get to know you a little bit and also your love for sports. It's fun. I always, I always, Ask for a little more engagement when we get into the sports topic. But tell us a little bit more about SnapDocs and what you do there specifically. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned earlier we're a digital closing provider. Um, and really our whole company philosophy is built on this hypothesis and theory that a lot of the closing process and really the mortgage transaction overall is, is challenging because of the fragmentation. You know, as a lender, you work with thousands of title partners. Those title companies work with thousands of notaries, and then you've got borrowers at the center of that. So that leads to these manual, opaque, dynamic processes that are really inefficient and create a poor borrower experience. And so our mission is to change that, and we do it by connecting together all of these participants to create what we like to talk about as the perfect closing experience. So that's one that's error-free, transparent, faster, more secure, and less work. Um, and, and so we've got hundreds of lenders and title companies that are using our platform to, to digitize their closing process today. Pretty exciting. Jack, let's get over to you. And then Alice, I'll come to you after that. Are we have you here? We didn't lose Jack, did we? You're dialed in. It shows that you're here, Jack, but... Uh, not hearing you. So we'll wait for Jack to reconnect if he has to. But anyway, with the interest rates rising and the real estate transactions declining, what impact do you see? Uh, what impact have you seen on what on on how this is what the impact this is having on the market? Yeah, I mean that's what everyone's been talking about earlier today. As these interest rates are rising, obviously everyone's seeing transactions decline, um, and what we're seeing is this higher mix of purchase versus refinance. And with our customers, we're seeing a few trends um, as a result of, of sort of what's going on in this macro environment. First, these refi-focused lenders are needing to focus their efforts and become competitive in a purchase market, which requires shifts to, to, to sort of how they think about winning business. Across the board, I mean, there's, um, it's more competitive, right? There's fewer transactions mm-hmm. to go around, and so companies are really focused on how can I create the most competitive borrower experience, boost referrals, cross-sell into other lines of business. Um, and then the biggest area is uh, companies are looking for ways to reduce their cost per loan. So how can they increase the team's capacity? What are these full bodies of work that I can, I can sort of eliminate and so I can get my people working on higher value tasks? And so we've seen this sort of blessing in disguise for lenders in trying to figure out how they're going to solve these problems is that with fewer transactions, they can come up for air after the craziness that was 2020 and 2021. And they're using this as a time to sort of look at their whole tech stack, evaluate it, and then roll out and adopt new technologies, really focus on making sure that they're getting the value that they need to from technology across their their organization. 
It's really it, it is a challenging and how to get the value because everyone's looking at the where things are at. And we were actually talking with you at before Jack and I last week. We're talking about how you can actually save money through that. Alice, let's get over to you. Ask a question for any questions. Well, you know me, Dave. I'm going to always focus on operations, right? That's uh, mm-hmm. that's a big part of my world. And so um, what specific levers can lenders pull to combat margin compression today uh, to reduce the operational costs? Yeah, well, we were talking when we were, we were prepping for this call that, you know, I talked about it's a great time to evaluate technology, but technology can also be death by a thousand cuts. So, when you're evaluating technology providers and solutions in this world, especially in this market environment, you really want to find solutions that are going to help you cut a lot of expenses, um, especially as you look at the, the way you operate the business. If you can move any of the, the fixed costs that you have and variableize it, that's, that's sort of an ideal world. Um, and so I think that's a, a great place where SnapDocs and digital closings in general fit in. Um, I talked about the manual process today is riddled with these inefficiencies that lenders have solved with teams of people. And so if you could replace that with a technology solution for each closing, um, it, it, it really helps your, your operating costs. And so there's inefficiencies in the closing process in general with coordinating thousands of settlement partners that, they, that lenders work with. But it's also really time consuming, and this is what I want to focus a lot of today on where a new product is. Um, it's very time-consuming QC work to catch manufacturing defects and prep documents for investor delivery. And so digital closings, where a portion of the closing documents are electronically signed, is sort of one way to reduce costs. But we recognized there was more we could do to, to work towards a world where we completely eliminate errors from closing transactions. So that's why we're launching this new product. We call it Closing QC that not only reduces the QC costs that lenders incur, but it can actually reduce the manufacturing defects overall. Therefore, you know, obviously the downstream risks and in indemnification, buyback, buyback risk that occurs um, when you have those manufacturing defects. Well, there's no question that these defects get expensive and the best way to do a cure is like this. So Jack, I say that you were able to rejoin in on the dialogue here and you were a part of that pre-call that we had. Jack, good to have you back. Sorry to hear that your internet went down. Good to have you live by a cell phone. Yeah. So, um, yeah, go ahead. I was about to ask Brianna to, you know, uh, to delve in a little more about the quality issues, you know, that occur mm-hmm. on a typical file and, you know, uh, and, and what impact this has on on lenders that you know see these repetitive manufacturing defects yeah so i mean this is the problem we saw across our customer base and and you know this hopefully resonates with a number of the people dialed in but they've got um a lot of, of time that they spend trying to prevent these manufacturing defects get documents prepped for investor delivery so we've seen a couple things. One, they're spending about 20 minutes per loan checking that every document was returned, that key signatures are on the document, and that the correct documents were signed. You know, maybe they did a redraw and they're worried that, you know, the wrong pages got signed and, and they could be sending the wrong, the wrong terms to an investor. And then they're spending another 15 minutes organizing the documents in the appropriate stacking order for investors, ensuring that they've got the appropriate sort of documents that investors require, 
maybe they've got some technology to do that, but it doesn't work for all of the pages, so they're needing to sort through PDFs. Uh, so that's the time. They're spending a lot of time on it, but even still, because this is a manual process and manual processes aren't perfect, uh, they end up with these manufacturing defects and incur a deficiency rating. Um, and, and so we've actually had some beta customers using our functionality, and in those QC transactions we've been running through our system, we've seen that as much as 20% of transactions have an important document missing that, that you know, wouldn't have gotten necessarily found. And so the question is, you know, imagine you could save all those minutes and reduce manufacturing defects. What sort of impact and, and savings would you have per closing and, and sort of combating the margin compression trend? When you look at the margin compressions going on, I want to come back in just a minute, Alice, and talk to you about some of the operational aspects of this, because there's a bunch of questions that are coming in from users already, or listeners, excuse me, that some, some sound like they're already users of your system, and there's some clarity that there's, that's coming through with these questions. We'll go to that. But Jack, let's get you to the next question. Then Alice coming to you with some questions on ops. Yeah. Brianna, um, can you talk a little bit about SnapDocs and, you know, the place they're at where they can help lenders succeed in an environment where originations are, you know, trajecting down and margin is compressing. So, you know, why is SnapDocs at a place where they can be um, of benefit to lenders? Yeah, well, let me first share um, sort of this, the, the QC functionality that we're launching and, and how uh, it'll solve those problems for lenders. Um, so we really break down our current functionality into three parts. Uh, and Jack, we were talking earlier, you get to like to get into the details. So sharing a little bit of this for you so you can really understand how it works. So we collect the, the big giant PDFs of signed documents from the settlement company or notary. And what we first do is we automatically classify every page using AI. And so we know what document it is. And we make sure that the name's correct, standardized, and we deliver it to the appropriate folders in your LOS so that it's ready for investor delivery. And then we check all of those documents for if there are any important ones that are missing. And so that makes sure that all of the documents were actually returned. And then we come through and we check and make sure that all of those documents were actually signed correctly. We actually scan the document for signatures, for notary stamps, for dates, for check boxes on those, you know, that often get, get missed or, or incorrectly signed. Um, so we've got those three main parts, and that's really just the beginning. In the future, we're also planning to check key loan data, make sure it's consistent within the documents, like the name, the loan amount, but it also matches the data that you have in your origination system um, to, to make sure it's all correct. And then we'll also have automated workflows with settlement, the notary borrower, to automatically resolve the errors so that we can ultimately guarantee that documents coming back through SnapDocs are accurate. Um, and so I mentioned we've had this product live with some beta customers. Um, we're seeing some real results, uh, increased staff capacity. So customers have realized three to four X increase in closings per closer. So loan capacity and those closers are saving about three hours of time per closer per day, which is huge um, for, for being able to, to run efficiently. And then they've actually seen a reduction in errors. They've been able to catch more errors more quickly and get those resolved, which has reduced their deficiency rating and then time to release funds and, and sell to investors. Um, 
so that, that's sort of the specific functionality with our closing QC product that we're launching. Um, but one aspect of SnapDocs that I think makes uh, us, us really be able to deliver this type of functionality and actually drive these results for customers is this aspect of scale. Oftentimes you talk yeah. to um, lenders and they, they can't implement a technology on all of their transactions. Uh, and then you don't solve the efficiency problems because you've got a subset of loans that are going through some old, slow, error-prone process. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we've really focused on is, is helping lenders get and achieve scale so that you have this one single new process that's more efficient. Um, you know, and we've designed the whole company around on how we do that. It's represented in how we design our platform. We've got, uh, we think about it not as a technology problem, but also network problem. And so we've got the largest settlement net network to ensure adoption. Uh, and then we, we support that with a team. We have an amazing team of experts who have implemented hundreds of lenders and they provide hands-on support through the entire journey. Um, so I think that's what made us, has made us really, really able um, to deliver a product in this space. That's good. Alice? Uh, yeah, very interesting. So I have a question. You mentioned about the document checking, uh, and as we know, uh, OCR has can get a little fussy with non-standard documents. And you mentioned so kind of a two-part question. You mentioned that you you virtually have a guarantee on the accuracy. So that must mean that your platform can support all these non-standard documents that can come in if uh, somebody is perhaps delivering to multiple investors. Yeah, yeah. So I should say the guarantee will come in a future version. The first version we have okay. live now is sort of check, but uh, we do we do support non-standard documents, and um, this is really based on um, and we were able to the way we we're able to do this is we've leveraged technology that we built earlier on in the transaction. So there's another part of our product where we automatically digitize documents for e-signature, and in that we needed to to solve for sort of custom documents non-standard documents. Um, and that's allowed us to collect a vast set of documents and, and needed us to, we, we needed to build algorithms that, that don't need to be templatized and can be more dynamic based on um, what we see on the document. Um, and so yes, this workflow does allow for us to, to sort of have this automated solution for, for non-standard documents as well. Um, so that depending on the investor you're selling it to, you can sort of get the right the right checks, um, regardless of, of how unique the documents are. That's really good. Let's get to some of the questions that are coming in from listeners. One of the ones that uh, Alice just touched on was one of the questions that there's, it's, it's come up several times from several of our listeners. One of them has to do with the OCR error rate. Um, are you, especially when Alice hit it perfectly on the non-standardized documents, how, how are you handling that? And what is the error rate that you're seeing and how does this compare to the competition? But some of these, I'm yeah. looking at all the questions around this area. I'll be, keep reading and try to fit those in. Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, so what we're seeing is we've got our AI running, uh, and it's about 99% accurate. Wow. For the, the one, yeah, yeah. And then for that 1%, we have a human in the loop process, especially when we introduced the missing signatures. We wanted to make sure when you were getting the report back from SnapDocs, you'd be confident that it was correct. So we do have a human in the loop process to review any of those documents that our AI wasn't confident in. Um, and, and so we have that human review uh, step in there uh, to make sure that 
over time, we can even improve those models and feed new training data back into our model. Uh, so this is a, a, a very high accuracy rate, um, and, and many sort of competitors mm -hmm. won't, yeah. if they have sort of AI technology solutions, they either won't be able to get to that level of accuracy because they don't have the, the specific training data like we have from, from the hundreds of thousands of closings, or they don't invest in the human in the loop process to constantly retrain the data to make sure uh, it's accurate. Um, and so with those two things sort of combined, it's allowed us to deliver a, a highly accurate process. Well, that's, yeah, 99 point, what is it, 99.9%, .9%, that's phenomenal. Um, one of the questions, I think the AI is a big component of that. One of the questions say, how is she doing that? The answer is AI and the human in the loop. I love that expression. We do are always going to have to have humans in the loop, as good <laughs> as technology is getting. But talk more about the AI component. Several people are wanting to know, how is this is it true AI? Is it machine learning? What level of uh, technology is this operating at? AI can be a broadly used wide term, and there's, it sounds like this person has a strong technology background, so they want to know, is it AI or machine learning or what rules-based? What is it? Yeah, I, I wish we had uh, our head of data science on the call. Um, he could answer much more precisely than I could. Um, but it's a it's a it's an algorithm that that learns um, based on a set of training input data. Um, okay. And so that, that is that is AI. Model. Yeah. Yep. So it allows us to model. We take a set of training data, which is the known output, um, mm -hmm. and it, the algorithm sort of builds variables that can detect those trained outputs, and then we apply that to to new data. Um, and so it's it's yeah. sort of these. And then it learns as new training data gets added. Yeah, that is going to be uh, that. That's so good. When you say it's learning, that's AI, folks. I mean, only AI is truly out there learning based on previous results. That's got. That's good. I love the fact that you have a human in the loop. Uh, let's go to Jack. I'm going to come back to you some, for some questions if you want. Alice, have you had any questions that? you've listened to from the listeners here. Um, but one of the questions that just came in, it says, achieve, you talk about how you can achieve scale. Several listeners, could you expand on that? And by the way, we're a SnapDocs user and we love them. They have been such a fabulous partner, customer services over the top. So nice kudos to you from one of your customers who happens to be a lister. But talk about, expand on the topic of achieving scale. How are you doing that? How are lenders doing that? Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of it comes down to both the product and that team. So thank you so much for the kind words, whoever, uh, whoever wrote in with that. Um, but our, we've got a, a customer success team that are experts in sort of how you actually adopt and roll out digital closing technology across your customer base. And then we've designed the product such that it really can run in the background. You know, there's not a mm. lot of point and click buttons you need to click in order to action things. And so it's very much integrated with the loan origination system. When things are clear to close, it can kick off the, the closing getting created in SnapDocs. And then once everything's done, they just automatically into the LOS. Um, and so we've got this team of experts that then helps lenders strategize in how they'll actually roll out and adopt the platform across their, their loan base. And so um, many will roll it out on sort of a region-by-region region basis, and they might start early on with, um, you know, making it opt-in to just get the lay of the land and, and understand the new process. But then once it works, 
the most successful thing we've seen in achieving scale is changing digital closings to be sort of an opt-out type model um, where lenders uh, can use our system and we configure rules to know how, what type of digital closing it can be. And then any closer or loan officer uh, is sort of auto opted into that unless there's a specific reason they want to opt a borrower out um, because they want to sign via pen and paper, for example. Um, and so those sort of best practices that we've seen across our customer base enable our, our, our sort of team of experts to work with lenders to strategize on how to actually successfully roll out the technology across their business, depending on the uniqueness of, of how it's set up. If it's very region-based, if they've got central ops, uh, they can partner with you to figure out the best way to build that confidence early and then get it to scale. Very interesting. Alice, as you're listening to this from an operational, any other questions you have for her? Then going over to you, Jack. I No, I guess it does sound like uh, you're using this primarily post-closing. Do you? Is there a use case for this pre-closing as well? Totally. I think especially as we add the, the functionality to be able to detect if there's actually any error in the data of the document, so checking that the loan amount's right, uh, the interest rate's right, the name's consistent, we can be pulling those checks earlier on pre-closing um, so that we pro preemptively catch them before the documents are actually signed. Uh, so I think there's certainly areas further upstream that we can, we can be doing some of these checks to actually prevent redraws and, and things like that. Good. That's very excellent. Good question, Alice. Uh, Jack, as you're listening to this, as we get ready to wrap this up, any other thoughts? I've got a couple other questions that are coming in from listeners, so I'll give those to you in just a minute. But, Jack, do you have anything? Well, yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's the, it's the repetitive question that I ask a lot. And so, uh, you know, how, Brianna, uh, well are you at SnapDocs integrated in with the, the myriad of loan origination systems out there. So, you know, have you have you built a number of integrations so that uh, you know uh, the user community, uh, you know, can can leverage this technology? Yeah, we've taken a very API first and tech agnostic approach to our platform from the beginning. That was one reason why we built the AI initially to automatically digitize documents, so it's compatible out of the gate regardless of the doc prep that you use. So we've taken a very uh, API first, you can even you know, Google and look at our APIs online, um, very much uh, sort of open and, and tech agnostic from the beginning. Uh, and then that allows us to, to really work with whatever loan origination system a lender uses. Um, we form partnerships with origination systems and then we can also work with lenders on a lender by lender basis to get an integration set up for them. That was definitely a, a key part uh, of our overall company and product strategy. A couple last good, questions. That good. Came... Yeah, go ahead, Jack. Fish. I didn't mean to step on you there. Well, I was about to say I always like tech solutions that <laughs> eliminate or, or, or mitigate, stare, and compare solutions, David. Yeah. That's so true. And that came out when you were building the correspondent division there at Texas Capital Bank. We spent a lot of time talking about this very thing. You guys are leaders in the e-signature space. Any new products that are coming out or any developments there that you want to talk briefly about? I'm so excited about what you have done and built. And um, 
and many others are. So any, what, where do we stand with the whole e-signature initiative and what you're going on? Continue to expand? You, what do you, and also one other question just popped in. What is the rate of adoption? Is it getting any better? Yeah. So um, in addition to this closing QC product, the other big investment for us on the e-closing side is really helping the industry adopt more and more e-notes and ROMs. And one of the big challenges that we've heard is that knowing where an e-note's accepted, which investor, what are their rules around acceptance um, from a remote online notarization perspective, what counties, states, my title underwriter, are they going to care, um, are going to accept it. And so we partnered with MISMO on an eligibility oh, exchange to collect, yeah, yeah, to collect this robust data from the industry. It's also super time-consuming. Investors are telling all of their lenders what their rules are. Every lender is going to all of their investors, so really inefficient. So we're collecting all this data together in a central platform in a partnership with MISMO and then um, bundling that into an eligibility engine that will tell you how e your loan can be. And so that type of technology, we're seeing high adoption of hybrids today. That's a little easier to know where mm-hmm. it's eligible. And then we've seen a few lenders, I mean, a, a bigger set of lenders that have implemented eNote um, and a small set of those that have scaled it. Um, and we're starting to see that that start to take off. Um, but I think this eligibility engine will help a lot to help you know and not need mm-hmm. to think about where where you can actually legally do it. <laughs> Very exciting. We could go on on this topic. You guys are clearly leaders in the space. Encourage anyone who has not gone out and requested a demo or spoken to someone at SnapDocs, encourage you to do so. Again, we've had as our special guest today, Brianna Ings, and Brianna is Vice President of Product at SnapDocs. Kudos. You have a great vision, and the team does. I'm just thrilled to uh, have, the, have the opportunity to work with you guys on a regular basis. Thank you for all that you're doing for the industry, especially in the E-Note, E-Everything initiative. You guys are doing so much to make this happen for our industry. Big, big participants in this, uh, pushing this important initiative forward. Thank you, Brianna, for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. It was. It was good. All right, folks, next week we've got John Con- Jack, excuse me. Next week we have Jack Connick joining us of Wiener Brodsky Kiter. Uh, Jack and I were, it was actually Jack and Brian Montgomery that did a presentation at the Lenders One event in Phoenix uh, three weeks ago. And the comments that were made there just said, I've got to get these both, both these guys on the podcast. So we're working on it. We got Jack starting off. Uh, just tease that conversation a little bit. Jack said it. If the CFPB were to be running the highway department, the, your speed limit signs would read something like this. To find out what we think is the appropriate speed for this highway, check our website for a recent enforcement action. And from that, you should be able to draw a conclusion what we think is the right speed limit for this highway. How ridiculous would that be? Obviously, there's just not great amount of guidance. This environment is one of the most, um, uh, what's the action prone that uh, uh, we've seen ever. And it was just paramount to um, so what we're doing as far as litigation, we're just seeing a lot of it happening. There's a lot of concern that's going to be kicking up. And then you have the fraud factor that Alice mentioned earlier. It just opens the door for us. So, Fox, folks, you will not want to miss Jack Connick next week on the podcast. Good to have you with us, everybody. I want to say a special thank you as we exit to our sponsors again. I want to say thank you to Finastra, the MBA, Lenders One, Mobility, MMI, Modex, Knowledge Coop, the Mortgage Collaborative, SnapDocs, Success Kit, Lender Toolkit. 
total expert and form free. Good to have you with us, everybody. Have a great week and look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.